Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Pasta Time Podcast. Now, last episode, I didn't read any creepypastas because I was reading the Max Brellier book, How to Survive in the Zombie Apocalypse. That, of course, is an amazing zombie choose-your-own-adventure book, and I think I'm going to read some more of that, not this episode but in the upcoming episodes soon. For today, I want to get back to the creepypastas, and I have a couple good ones that I want to read for you today. Today, we'll be reading uh, The Draft by Schmergo, very creative name, Schmergo, and The Face in the Window by Nick Ledesma. I'm probably saying that name right or wrong. Mostly wrong. I'm pretty bad with names. You guys know that. But, oh well. The Draft and The Face in the Window. But it's been a pretty uh, busy couple of weeks for news and pop culture, and I just found out a couple of amazing things that almost actually exploded my brain because I got so excited when I saw them, I started freaking out. So let's just jump right into our horror fix, shall we? So I'm going to start off this horror fix by kind of uh, talking about E3. I know I didn't really talk about it last week, which I probably should have talked about it a little bit more. I only kind of mentioned the Fallout 4 video game. But if you wanted to hear me talk about more of E3, the stuff I'm not covering on this podcast, me and Dan actually did a whole episode of his Pop Culture Convo podcast, if you haven't heard of that one. You guys know Dan from the earlier episodes of Past the Time podcast. Well, he has his own pop culture podcast called Pop Culture Convo. And yeah, there's one in... I think last week's episode, we just talked about E3 for about half an hour, a bunch of our favorite games we're looking forward to, but I have some other games that we didn't talk about on that podcast that I'm going to talk about on this podcast. So we're going to start off with the new Gears of War 4, and I just I can't even get over this. Just the gameplay trailer looks amazing. It's gritty, it's dark, and I mean... It starts off you and uh, you're a guy and then there's a girl with you and you're going to track down this fucking beast of a pig wolf type thing. I don't even know. I have no idea what it was. I can't even describe it. I just know it had tentacles coming out of its mouth and I would never want to fuck with one of those. But so you're trying to track this thing down and you're in this giant mat or you're kind of inside and outside, more outside than inside. That That's irrelevant. But <laughs> you're trying to track down this fucking monster and you're surrounded by this creepy-ass castle and then this fucking tornado just comes out of nowhere and the game just looks beautiful and then you get kind of cornered by like three of these monster tentacles shooting out of face things. I'm not, I'm not really making any sense. Just w- watch the trailer. I'll tweet it. I'll put it on the Facebook page. If you're a fan of Gears of War, which anybody that's ever played Xbox 360, they're fans of Gears of War. I don't care what you say, you're a fan of Gears of War. But there's a playable beta that's, uh, I think it's out right now, so go try it out. It looks fucking awesome. It's coming out in in the holidays of 2016, so we have to wait over a year, which kind of sucks ass, uh, more like two years. But they got to capitalize on Christmas, you know what I'm saying? But if you want to play a different Gears of War game while you're waiting for that one, the Gears of War Ultimate Edition is being released on August 25th, and it's coming out for the Xbox One and PC. And this is just an improved graphic version of the very first Gears of War game, and that could be the best Xbox 360 game ever released. I mean, the graphics still hold up today, but just a whole revamp, uh, 1080p, 60 frames per second remastered, even for 4K video, this game is going to look amazing. And there's also uh, five extra playable uh, campaign modes or 
missions on the campaign mode. So that's pretty awesome. And they're going to improve the split-screen multiplayer if you're playing at home with somebody, as well as using the mechanics for Gears of War 3 online. So this is all amazing. And then the game is only $40, so... I'm pretty pumped about that, considering most Xbox One games coming out are about $79.99 now, which is fucking crazy. I mean, 80 bucks for a game? So for like three or four games, it's a whole system? I don't know. It's same price as a system for three or four games. I'm just losing my mind. But 40 bucks, you can't go wrong. If you haven't played the first Gears of War game, then this is a must-buy for you, and you're insane for not of playing it before. So what the hell are you doing? Get on that shit. And now on to, uh, this isn't really horror, this isn't really a horror video game, but this is one of my favorite video game series ever, and, well, not series, one of my, well, actually, okay, I'll just continue talking. Any South Park game made, ever, I've played, and I've loved it. Like, even Chef's Love Shack, the trivia one, loved it, their Go Rally one for N64, whatever the hell that was, Tower Defense one on the Xbox 360, I played the shit out of that, and of course, The Stick of Truth, which was an RPG, came out like two years ago, hilarious, it played just like an episode of the show, and it was fucking hilarious, but this next, uh, this next installment for the amazing RPG series, which it now is a series, um, it is The Fractured Butt Hole, so... If you say it fast, it is the greatest name ever, South Park the Fractured Butthole, and I find that hilarious. I don't know about you, but it uh, is a sequel to the RPG, The Stick of Truth, of course, and the difference in this one and the other one, other than vastly improved uh, gameplay, supposedly, which the gameplay was pretty good, I I thought, was that uh, you get to play as the superheroes, the Coon and Friends, so... That's pretty fucking awesome. I just hope I get to play as Mintberry Crunch because he has the power of mint and berries with a satisfying crunch. Who doesn't want to play as Mintberry Crunch? Breakfast cereal mascot. Amazing, right? You know it. I know it. We all want to be Mintberry Crunch. But off to something more creepy and probably the most exciting news I've ever heard in my life. Really? Probably not, but it's pretty damn exciting. Uh, Did any of you ever watch the uh, original Tales from the Dark Side? Well, if you haven't, it was a anthology it was an anthology TV show that was created by George A. Romero in 1984 and ran till 1988 and it's just it's like the Twilight Zone which as you all know from me talking about it all the time is fucking awesome. So, when I heard this was coming back, I was pretty damn excited and then I heard who was writing for the show as the lead writer. He wrote the pilot And he is my favorite writer that's out there, but he's being a douche and he's not releasing any new books, at least not till 2016, I don't believe. And that is Joe Hill. Joe Hill, of course, is the son of Stephen King, and he wrote um, the bestsellers 20th Century Ghost, Horns, Nosferatu, Heart-Shaped Box. I mean, his resume is amazing. Every book he releases is a bestseller, and Horns was made into a movie recently, which Pretty damn cool, Daniel Radcliffe. Um, I thought it was going to suck, honestly, but it was way better than I anticipated, so go check that out. But back on topic here, uh, the CW ordered a pilot back in February for the show, so Joe Hill wrote it, and then they shot it, and right after Joe Hill saw the first cut of the pilot, he had about five or six tweets saying how amazing it looked and how he's so excited for the show. So I really hope that it sticks around because Tales from the Dark Side, amazing, Joe Hill, amazing. I don't see how it could fail. Now, after hearing this news about Tales from the Dark Side and Joe Hill writing for it, it inspired me to do a little rate and review of 
my top five or the top five must read Joe Hill pieces of literature. So it's going to be four books. I'm going to spoil it right now. Four books and one graphic novel because I haven't read the other or two of the other graphic novels that he has out, even though I hear they're very good. But I'll just mention them as honorable mentions later on. But that's coming at the end of the show. First, we're going to read our creepy pastas. I think we're going to start with The Draft by Schmergo because I really like that one. So let's hope you guys do too. But enough talking. Let's get right into the creepypastas, shall we? This is The Draft by Schmergo. Schmergo. Oh, honey, don't leave the window open at night, my grandma used to say to me. You'll let in the draft. She was a tiny pudding of a woman, with pink lipstick and pink patches of scalp showing through her feathery hair. Toward the end there, she didn't have many teeth, which made her southern drawl even more impenetrable to my five-year-old ears. Of course, I didn't know Grandma was sick then. I didn't know that was why we went to stay with her. I just knew I didn't like her house. So big and empty and full of creaks and echoes and wrong smells. And I knew I didn't want to let in the giraffe. I still see it. As vivid as my Grandma's face or the weekly hot apple pie that didn't quite mask the sickly sweet stink. Every night, I huddled beneath my blankets, hands clasped tight together and eyes squished shut whispering prayers under my breath. I didn't dare open my eyes once my mother turned off the light, never poked my head out from the safe nest of the covers. I knew that if I did, I would see the giraffe staring back at me from the darkened window. Sometimes, I could swear I heard it, the faintest snapping of a twig outside or a leaf brushing against the window. I tried to convince myself, but it was the giraffe. It waited outside, eyes staring and head cocked expectantly to one side, waiting for me to let it in. I wondered how long it could wait. It didn't look like a real giraffe. It was something else, milky and sickly, every bone jutting out from the thin cover of its moonlit skin. It can't hurt me, I told myself. It's so weak. It would crumble to dust if I touched it, but that only made it scarier. I wet the bed at my grandma's house sometimes, and my mother shouted at me. Nightmare followed nightmare, but I didn't dare get out of bed and run to my mother's room like at home. I knew that if I did, the giraffe would get to me first. So I lay there in my soggy sheets, counting the minutes until I saw the sun's glow through my eyelids. I think it's hard on Helen, I heard my mother tell my father one night when they thought I was asleep. She shouldn't have to deal with this at her age. I've been too harsh. We knew this was coming, my father said rubbing his unshaven cheek. She has to come to terms with death sometime or later. They knew about the giraffe, I thought fiercely, my fingernails biting into my palms, and they're just gonna let it kill me. My parents won't even try to stop it. This is something I have to face on my own. Grandma barely left her bed anymore those days. Was she hiding from the giraffe too? One morning I slipped in and stood at the shadow of her door. Grandma, I whispered. She looked up at me with her dark, cloudy eyes. Yes, honey? Her voice was weak, every syllable heavy. Have you ever seen the giraffe? The what, dear? The giraffe, I said in my smallest voice, hoping it wouldn't overhear us. You said not to open the window at night and let in the giraffe. Did you ever see it? She laughed, actually laughed, though it turned into a shallow wheezing. Oh no, Helen, darling, you can't see a draft. I trembled then. How do you know it's there? 
You could feel a cold wind, Grandma said. Honey, do you think you could go get your mother? I think it's time for my medicine. In my dreams that night, the giraffe rode on the wind, galloping above rooftops like an awful twisted Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. Its eyes were pale stars, and ghosts straddled its back. Its breath was like blue fire, and icicles hung from its mouth. And whenever I tried to hide from it, it disappeared into night air, only to reappear inches away from my face. I wet the bed again that night. By the last days, all the leaves had fallen from the trees. They stood naked around the lawn, looking like skeletons. Grandma hardly looked like Grandma anymore, the times I got to see her. I played alone in the hallway with my dolls, just outside Grandma's bedroom. Barbie was marrying John Smith again, but I didn't care about the wedding. I wanted to know what my parents were talking about with Grandma, why I wasn't allowed in with them. It's too stuffy in here, I heard my father say when I pressed my ear against the heavy wooden door. It's nice out for November, my mother said. Maybe some fresh air would do her good. I'll open the window, said my father. I fell the side of my head slamming onto the door. No, I screamed. I twisted the doorknob and vaulted into Grandma's bedroom. No, not the window. But it was too late. My father had already pulled back the curtain and wrenched open the window. A light breeze rolled in. There's nothing there, I thought. Nothing but the night. But Grandma told me you can't see the giraffe. She had been asleep at first. Had been asleep every time I'd been allowed to visit her, in the last few weeks at least but her eyelids fluttered open as I wailed. Daddy, no, close it, close it. What has gotten into you, Helen? Snapped my father, grabbing me hard by the shoulder and dragging me from the window. You're not a baby. Stephen, look, whispered my mother. We both turned toward Grandma. She had done nothing but lie there for weeks. Now she was struggling up to a sitting position. Her chalky face tinged with purple. Her mouth opened and closed, but only a creaking sound came out. Slowly, she raised one hand from the bed. Whatever she was trying to say, I'll never know. But even then, I could read what was in her eyes. Pure terror. Then she collapsed back onto the bed, all the light gone from her eyes. Grandma was gone, vanished unseen out the window with the giraffe. I know now that it was just a childish misunderstanding, and childish misunderstandings are supposed to be funny, or at least adorable. But when I remember Grandma's house, the last thing I want to do is laugh. And some nights, even now, I dream of the phantom giraffe that stole away my grandmother, carrying her off into the night on a cold gust of wind. Now, I always keep my windows shut. So that was The Draft by Schmergo. I just like saying Schmergo. It's a sweet name. Schmergo. I don't know. Sounds like a Hasbro toy. Let's go play with our Schmergos. Oh, no, that doesn't doesn't sound good. But I did like the story. Um, I actually liked it quite a bit. I mean, like, it really shows the potential of the children's imaginations. I mean, I remember as a kid, this story was also really relatable because every kid made a big deal out of something that was absolutely nothing just because how amazing our imaginations were when we were kids. Because we had nothing but time to think about things and usually think about the worst case scenarios in any possible event. I mean, when I was a kid, um, I never liked having my bed up against the wall because I had, I don't know, I had this thing that was set in my mind that there were these little monsters that would come up 
um, from the side of my bed with their fingers and prod at me when I was asleep. So I'd always shove blankets there, pillows. I just never wanted to be near the side of my bed. But strangely enough, under my bed wasn't a problem. I just believed that uh, I guess those things kind of stayed at the side of the bed. But I don't know. I might have just been a dumb kid. But I don't think I think I'm in the majority. I think everybody was afraid of something kind of dumb that we made a big deal out out of nothing. Or maybe I'm the only one. Can't be. Who knows? But all in all, I really like this story. I gave it a 2 for quality, 1.5 for scariness. It wasn't the scariest story, but it was just good. The idea got a 2, and the writing was pretty good. I gave it a 2 as well. There's a couple parts that, I don't know, felt like they didn't really flow as nicely as I'd like them to, but... All in all, a really great story. So that is 7.5 out of 10. Woo. Shmergo, you did well. Shmergo. But on to the next creepypasta. This is The Face in the Window by Nick Ledesma. Last winter, I was walking through a park near my apartment when I came across five young boys attempting to smash an object with a hammer. Granted, Chicago children are probably more violent than most, but I'm not used to seeing such things in my particular neighborhood. I jogged over to them mostly out of curiosity, but also to make sure they weren't torturing some poor squirrel or a pigeon or something. If I had known the sort of thing I was about to come in contact with, I would have probably went home and bolted the door. One of the boys was clutching some sort of dark wooden board covered with black paint and holding it at arm's length with his face turned away and his eyes closed. A second boy, I remember one of his friends calling him either Peter or Paul, was aggressively prying the hammer out of the hands of the boy who had been swinging it at the wooden board moments earlier while the other two kids watched without saying a word. In spite of all the hammering and arguing, the surface of the board looked perfectly smooth and intact from the angle I was approaching. I put on my toughest adult voice and got the kids to quit yelling and fighting over the hammer, just long enough to ask them what the hell they were trying to do. The boy holding the hammer, Peter or Paul, looked at me straight in my face and said, We're going to break the devil into six pieces and bury him in the woods. I was stunned but also amused. I figured he had seen something like this on television, so I kind of laughed it off when I asked, So you kids think this plank is the devil? Peter or Paul was clearly not pleased by the question and said something along the lines of, Are you stupid or what? The thing ain't a plank. As I took my first look at the wooden board up close, I was surprised to see that the entire surface had not been painted with black paint as I had first thought. It was actually hand-painted to the point it was nearly covered with a language I wasn't familiar with. It looked vaguely Asian or Middle Eastern. It was entirely alien to me aside from the upper left and right corners, which displayed very detailed paintings of the sun and moon. In the center of both the sun and moon, were unnerving faces with blank expressions. As I thought about this last detail, it became clear to me that this board was some sort of antique handmade Ouija board. Peter or Paul explained to me that his grandfather owned an antique store and was on his deathbed. He had requested that the boy's mother take this board from his store safe and break it into six pieces and dispose of it immediately, burying each piece in the woods not less than a mile apart from each other. He would not say why this had to be done, but continuously referred to the board as the wooden devil. When the boy's mother had refused, thinking it ludicrous as any rational person would, the grandfather had enlisted the boy and his friends, given them the store key and told them the safe combination. 
I remember the kid telling me he was disappointed. He had always thought the safe held his grandfather's stash of ancient pirate treasure. Upon grabbing the wooden board from the safe, however, the boys had run into two problems. Firstly, the board was hard as stone, and the best way to break the thing was turning into a point of argument now that the hammer had failed. The second issue was that the woods in Chicago were scarce, and woods large enough for burying things miles apart from each other are even scarcer. Realizing it was most likely not the best idea to get in the way of a group of kids' family issues when a hammer and wooden slab were involved, I figured my best option was to break the thing myself to make sure the kids didn't hurt themselves, then be on my way. This proved to be extremely difficult. I remember thinking that the board had to be reinforced with a steel plate or something. I was beating on the thing with the hammer for the hundredth time when I remembered that I had a hacksaw that I had brought to remove a broken tree limb two years ago and never touched it since. I told kids to sit tight and jog down the block to my apartment. By the time I got back, it was snowing and the boys were picking up snow and throwing it at each other in clumps rather than snowballs. It was an unusually mild winter for us last year and I think this may have been the beginning of the only snowstorm we had all year if I remember correctly. The five of them continued to play with the snow as I hacked into the board with my saw. It took an unusually long time, but it worked. When the first piece snapped off, I picked it up and saw the grain where it had been cut was unlike anything I'd ever seen before, spiraling in a very distinct pattern that I could still picture in my head. The unstained wood was a deep, reddish brown. When the board was in six pieces, Peter or Paul grabbed the corner with the picture of the sun. Then he and one of his friends ran a short distance into the wooded area on the edge of the park and buried it about a foot down. As this was going on, the other boys explained to me that they were planning on spending the day riding the elevated train and taking the pieces to various wooded areas they'd come up with. They just needed one more place to bury the sixth piece and hadn't come up with anything yet. As it happened to be Sunday, if I recall, I offered to do it on the way to work the next day and they agreed that it was a good plan. As the five of them walked away toward the north, I saw them enter a station for the Blue Line train and never saw them again. Later that night, as the snowstorm began to get really bad, I remember thinking that I had hoped I hadn't made a mistake by letting them go off on their own. But a strange adult hanging around with five neighborhood kids tends to give people the wrong idea, regardless of whether he's looking out for their safety. I had hoped they had gotten their task finished before the storm had really hit. The corner of the board I had wound it up with was the corner with the painting of the moon with a blank expression. I had really planned to bury it, I swear I did, but we all wound up snowed up in the following morning and it ended up in the drawer of an old end table. I don't know if you've ever been snowed in during a Chicago winter, but when this happens, they tend to send out these huge monolithic snow plows that push all of the snow into mountains on top of all the parked cars, none of which will be capable of moving an inch for at least two days. The day was rather uneventful, but as nightfall approached, I was taken by the eerie notion that someone was watching me through my living room window. I kept glancing toward it, expecting to see someone peering in at me, despite the fact that I live on the third floor and my living room window faces the street. After a while, I shook off the notion, and I believe I went to sleep around 11. Around 1am, I was woken by what sounded like a mechanical device humming loudly, and assumed it to be my heater possibly being overworked due to the snowstorm. I stood up and put my ear next to the vent, but the sound wasn't coming from there. I walked into the living room to check the settings on my thermostat, and immediately every hair on my body stood at full attention. The sound was coming from the direction of my living room window, 
And as I turned to look, I caught the ghastly image of a solid white face with a wide mouth and dark eye sockets on the other side of the glass. I quickly turned on a light and the face disappeared. The mechanical droning noise seemed to recede. The white face in the window, the noise, had it all been my imagination, I wondered? When I was younger, I once had an episode of sleep paralysis where I witnessed a tree devouring my neighbor's dog through a bedroom window. But when I came out of it, the tree was back to normal and the dog was perfectly fine. Had this been something similar? Nevertheless, I had hardly slept the rest of the night. I kept thinking I was hearing that deep mechanical drone somewhere in the distance. By the next night, I had regained my wits and fell asleep in my bed sometime around midnight. I awoke once again, terrified, to the sound of that same mechanical drone as the previous night, but this time, much louder. As I sat up in bed, I saw the ghastly white face with sunken eyes on the other side of the window near the foot of my bed, no more than three feet away from where I lay sleeping. It had no neck, arms, torso, nothing. It just seemed to float there above the streetlights below, emanating that horrible humming sound. I instinctively grabbed the drapes and pulled them closed, but the sound continued. Remembering what happened the night before, I ran to the lights and flipped the switch. The noise slowly faded, but I was too afraid to open the drapes for the rest of the night. The next morning, I was still unable to get to work due to my car being frozen beneath a seven-foot pileup of ice, but I absolutely had to get out of that apartment. I thought that if the face was going to come back, I would have to be ready for it somehow. I went to a sporting goods store in the neighborhood and purchased a box of ammo for the 22 range pistol I hadn't used in years. It wasn't much, but it was better than nothing. I also bought some caffeine tablets and a bag of coffee. Before nightfall, I set up camp in my living room with a pistol and a coffee pot, took one of the caffeine tablets, and rigged up a portable radio recorder that I sometimes use for work. I don't own a camera, and my cell phone's video function had not been working for months, so the best I could do was attempt to snap some photos in the dark with the cell phone if the face reappeared again. It showed itself around 3 in the morning. I was beginning to crash from all the caffeine when I began to hear the droning sound approaching from the distance. I readied my gun in one hand and my cell phone in the other, but the face didn't appear in the window. I began to wonder if perhaps the face was outside my bedroom window, and as I snuck through the dark towards the door, the sound seemed to get louder. However, as I entered the room, the door slammed and locked behind me, and I heard glass shattering in the living room. Suddenly, the apartment was filling with the noises of things being smashed, thrown, and torn to pieces. The droning noise was deafeningly loud, and I covered one ear and turned my head away as I clawed at the doorknob with my other hand, but it simply would not open. It was as if the lock had been welded shut. After about 30 seconds of this, I raised my foot and smashed the door open with two kicks. Immediately, the crashing in the living room stopped, but the room itself had been completely torn to pieces. And as I looked up above the debris at the shattered window, I saw the face one last time, staring at me from the other side of my demolished Venetian blinds. It opened its mouth exposing a wide, dark cavern, the likes of which I hoped to never see again. And the horrible sound got louder and louder as I snapped a single photograph with my camera, and the flash went off. Then in an instant, the face was gone. All I have to prove my story is a single blurry photograph and the audio taken from my portable recorder in those last few minutes. But the thing about it that disturbed me the most is the corner of the wooden board with the painting of the moon was sitting atop the debris in the exact center of the room.
and the face had been altered so that the expression was identical to what I had just seen in the windowpane with the wide, gaping, cavernous mouth. I buried it in the woods the following morning. So that was The Face in the Window by Nick Ledesma. So, story was alright. I mean, I really liked the idea of that one. Um, very creepy and scary. I mean, the part where the face was like three feet away from him in his, on the other side of the window in his bedroom. That was fucking creepy, right? But it was really poorly written. There was uh, some pretty damn long sentences, including uh, in the second last paragraph, um, there was a 62-word sentence. You should never use a 62-word sentence. I don't know. I don't know what the hell that's about. But, and there's some misspelled words and some weirdly worded sentences, but eh, the story was good anyways. If it was uh, written a little bit better, I think it could have been much, or could have been ranked much higher. I mean, I gave this a uh, 1.5 for overall quality, one po- or 2.1 for scariness, 2.0 for the idea, because I did like the idea with the uh, old school Ouija board and the f- creepy ass face on the other side of the window. And then writing, I gave them a one because the writing, for the most part, was all right, but there was a lot of long sentences, some uh, places could have used commas, and they just weren't used properly. But who who cares? Writing's not that big of a deal, but it kind of took me out of the story. In all, it got a 6.6, so it was a respectable creepypasta. So I enjoyed reading it. I hope you guys did too. But now it's time for Rate and Review. So in today's Rate and Review, um, since I heard about Joe Hill writing for the Tales from the Dark Side television show, I figured I'd give you the five must-read pieces of literature by Joe Hill. So we're going to kick off this list at number five, 20th Century Ghosts. Now, this is a book that was released in 2005, and it's just a bunch of short stories. So anthologies just fits right into Tales from the Dark Side. I'd like to see some of these stories be infused into the show. I mean, there was one story, uh, what was it called? Um, You Will Hear the Locust Sing. And it's just about this kid who he wakes up, and then he starts turning into a giant praying mantis or something. It was so messed up, but I loved reading it. But it's this book is all the way at five because I read it probably four or five years ago, um, maybe even longer, because, yeah, it did come out in 2005. But I thoroughly enjoyed everything that I read in it, but I'm going to have to reread it. I just actually bought it a couple weeks ago, so that'll be the next one on my list to read. But this book also included a bunch of other short stories, including The Cape, which later became a graphic novel. And Joe Hill's involved in a bunch of different graphic novels, one of them being, or one of the series actually being on the list. But next on our list at number four, Heart Shaped Box. Now, this was actually the first book by Joe Hill that I ever read, and it came out in 2007. And it's about an ex-rocker uh, whose name is Judas Coyne, very, uh, very original name. And um, he's really into, like, uh, morbid memorabilia. I mean, he has, like... I guess these a bunch of a collection of snuff films, stuff that supposedly belong to witches. So then uh, he gets a message online from somebody selling this dead man suit that comes with a ghost or poltergeist, and of course he can't pass up the opportunity to own your own poltergeist, which in reality seems like a pretty dumb fucking idea. But if you're a rich 
rock ex rocker, then who gives a fuck, right? But so he buys this uh, suit, and then when it comes, when he gets it, shit just goes down. Uh, Ghost starts trying to kill everybody around him, and especially his dogs, which are the only things that can protect him. And I don't want the dogs to die. Don't want the dogs to die. Do you? No, never. But yeah, the ghost is out to kill him, and everything ties together at the end. He has this uh, girlfriend that's with him in the whole story. He's kind of a dick to her, but for some reason you're rooting for him. I don't remember why, but you're rooting for him. And this just had a pretty awesome ending, I remember, and this was one of the first books that really got me into horror fiction. So just a great book, but it's only four on the list because, you know what? All his stuff is so damn good, it was hard to rate it any higher. Which brings us to number three, the Lock and Key series, Volume 1. Now, this is a graphic novel series that started in 2008, ran till 2011 with five installments. This, this graphic novel series just has unreal artwork by Gabriel Rodriguez, I think is his name, Gabriel Rodriguez. Um, that's what really drew me to it, and the fact that Joe Hill wrote it, of course. But I've only read the first one of these because I wanted to get them all in hardcover, and they're a bit pricey in hardcover, even if you do order them online. It's still about 20-something dollars. But crazy story. Um, there's um, these three children whose father gets murdered right off the bat. So shit just goes down right off the bat. So then these three children and their mother move to this mansion in Lovecraft, Massachusetts, which I thought was a nice touch, having it in Lovecraft. Makes me think of H.P. Lovecraft, which I'm currently reading the Necronomicon, but that's for another day. Um, but then um, one of the guys that killed the children's father, there was two of them, I'm not going to tell you what happened to the other one, but one of them um, gets in contact with this crazy evil spirit that's trying to lead him to the house where the all the children and the mother are because the supernatural force wants him to kill the family, and it's just fucked up. Oh, and did I mention there's this crazy-ass ghost door that uh, the youngest discovers. I forget the kid's name, but the youngest kid discovers it, and when you go through... Your spirit leaves your body, and your body's just left there dead, but you can, like, float around and kind of go wherever you want, and you're in, like, a different dimension, which is a fucking awesome addition to an already fucked up story. And this was also made into a TV movie in 2011. I never heard about this TV movie until recently, so I have to watch it before I can tell you whether to watch that or not. But it's probably good. Anything by Joe Hill, fucking awesome. On to number two. This is probably the most public-known book that uh, Joe Hill's ever released because it was actually made into a movie just a couple years ago starring Harry Potter. That's right, Daniel Radcliffe. This is Horns, and this book, uh, it's about this guy, Ig Parrish, who's the prime suspect in the murder of his girlfriend, Marin Williams, and he wakes up after a drunken night to find horns growing out his fucking head. Crazy, right? But it gets better. The horns make people uh, 100% honest around him, and he can use them to make people do things that they don't want to do, or I guess stuff that they actually want to do. All he has to do is give them permission, and he can tell people to do shit. I don't know. It's pretty fucked up, but it's awesome. There's uh, some really intense scenes where like, his, he finds out his parents don't believe that uh, he's innocent in killing Marin Williams, and they wish that he'd have died instead of Marin, and... Um, Ig decides to use these horns to finally figure out who actually killed Marin Williams. Did Ig do it? I don't know. I'm not going to tell you. But read the book. The movie, I thought it was going to be horseshit, but actually decent. It wasn't as good as the book, but it's the book's also fucking hilarious. I mean, right off, right off the bat, there's like these cops 
and uh, they just want to fuck with Ig, and one of them wants to, like, kill Ig, but the other one is actually super gay for the other cop, and um, when Ig's around, the guy will just be like, hey, is it all right if, uh, you think I should put this guy's cock in my mouth? And I was like, whoa, that's, uh, that's random, random to be in a book of Joe Hill proportions, I don't know, but it's, it was hilarious, it was good stuff. And after reading this book, it was my favorite book at that time in my life, and I just loved it. So this is one of the ones that I'd recommend to anybody reading any Joe Hill book. This would actually be the number one book that I would recommend, even though it's not number one on my list. But it's because it's a shorter book, it's not too much, and it's so funny, and it has a little bit of everything. It's got the comedy aspects, the really dark, deep aspects, and I don't know, just really good story. And that brings us to number one, and this is um, Joe Hill's newest book uh, called Nosferatu. Now, you hear that, and you initially think vampires, or at least I did anyways. So when I read this book, I was kind of blown away to what it was actually about because I didn't want to read any synopsis or anything before it came out. I just wanted to be surprised, and I was very pleasantly surprised. It's um, about this girl, Vic McQueen. Again, very interesting name. But this book is set in multiple times in Vic McQueen's life, kid, adult, teenage, everything. But she, from a young age, she finds out that she can uh, travel through this thing called the Shorter Way Bridge on her bike, and she's able to kind of teleport to places where things are lost that she needs to find. Or tra- I, I don't know if it was any time travel. No, I think it was just teleport. It gets it gets her where she needs to be to find stuff. I don't know. But that part was pretty cool. And there's three perspectives. It's from her perspective, this guy called Bing, who's just a fucked up individual, who's helping the antagonist, Charlie Manx, who's a t- child abductor and murderer. And he's, yeah, he's fucked up. And there's uh, the guy, Bing. He's just like, I guess... I don't remember. He might have been like a pedophile too. But he'd gather up children for this guy Charlie Manx and he'd take them to Christmas Land, which, despite the name, is pretty horrible and disturbing. I mean, Christmas I associate with greatness, happiness, cheer, uh, glass bottle Cokes. Yeah. And this kind of just fucks it all up for you. But at the same time, I like it. And the thing is, like, Charlie Manx lives off these kids. Like, that's all he's been alive for forever, just living off the youth of children. It's fucked up. It's just a fucked up story. But it's a bit longer. It was, I think it's like 700 pages. But this book is amazing. Uh, I've never read a book faster in my life, and this will be my top recommend on this list. I'm not giving any of these books ratings because I might read them and then later do full de- in-depth reviews. But Joe Hill, fucking 10 stars out of 10 for everything all around. Just go out and read any of his shit. Now, I left out a couple things. Um, There, of course, was the Cape graphic novel. There's the graphic novel Wraith, which I need to read. Uh, I looked at some of the artwork. Uh, Wraith is actually the car that they drive in Nosferatu. It's called a Wraith or whatever. And the graphic novel just takes place kind of in Christmas land with, I think, Charlie Manx and just all the fucking creepy-ass children, but it is probably the most disturbing artwork ever, and it's creepy as fuck. Just Google it. Just Google uh, Joe Hill Wraith um, graphic novel artwork or something, and yeah, try not to be scared. Just try it. Dare you.
But if you're one of the few people like me and you've already read like pretty much all of Joe Hill stuff, you can look forward to The Fireman, which is coming out May 2016. So we still have to wait a goddamn year for it. But that kind of sucks. But The Fireman, according to RisingShadow.net, The Fireman is a really cheerful end-of-the-world novel about being happy in the face of darkness. It is less like Hell House and more like the Andromeda strain, and less like Matheson and more like Critchen. So, I'm excited for it. I, uh, I'm kind of glad there wasn't a real full synopsis, because I like to be surprised by his books. I'll end up reading something with a full synopsis along the lines, because I get impatient, but hopefully... Hopefully they have an earlier release date, because I want to read it. I want to read it now. But that does it for the show today. Make sure you follow us on Twitter at Podcast, Like us on Facebook.com slash Podcast, And, of course, subscribe on YouTube. That is just Past the Time Podcast on YouTube. Tell your friends. Rate us on iTunes. Five stars, right? Five star frog splash, you know? And if you want to hear a long discussion on E3 and a bunch of the games that came out, check out Pop Culture Convo. That's uh, Dan's podcast, so hopefully you guys like that. If you like anything pop culture, just check that out. And, yeah, that's it for me today. Um, I'll see you guys soon. Hopefully I start pumping out two episodes a week. I'd like that. But until then, try not to have too many nightmares, my friends. (laughs) ¶¶